podcast. Always be cool. The show where your host, DZ and BK, showcase your local business and real estate pros going gangbusters in leadership, community involvement, and just being cool. Here are your hosts, serial entrepreneurs, mortgage experts at Summit Lending, and partners in crime, Darren Copeland and Bobby Kerr. All right, everybody, it's the Always Be Cool podcast, hanging out with your hosts, Bobby Kerr, Darren Copeland. What's up, everybody? We are really, really excited today. We are hanging out with uh, someone with whom all Kansas City Royals fans are very, very familiar. I'll let DC give the formal introduction, but we have Mr. Joel Goldberg. All right, everyone, here we go. Emmy Award-winning broadcaster, keynote speaker, and published author, has worked in four markets in his 25-year career, covering two World Series championship teams and thousands of baseball games, not to mention multiple Super Bowls, NHL, NHL playoffs, and March Madness. He's had the pleasure of interviewing countless athletes, Hall of Famers, and celebrities, longtime job covering the Kansas City Royals, serving as host of Royals Live, pregame and postgame shows, author of his book called Small Ball, Big Results, all-around awesome guy. Welcome to the show, Joe Goldberg. How you doing, man? Thank right. you. Hey, guys. Bobby, Darren, what's going on? Hey, man. We are super excited to have you on the show today. Well, I'm excited to be here with you, and uh, you guys know this, being being diehards like you are, that you can talk baseball year-round, but you know, this is, I think this is always a good month to talk about it before the hot stove gets going, but we're all, you know, we're, we're all missing baseball, right. I think. And uh, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm happy to have the break right now, but sure. it's just, it's nice to still be able to talk about it. There's obviously a lot going on and, uh, and world series. So it's, it's a good time of year. Yeah, a- absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll, and we'll talk about some baseball and some business stuff, but I was reading something that was really cool, Joel. So apparently I was reading like when you were a younger kid, you would actually tell your teachers about the news the night before. Is that kind of how? Oh, yeah. you, is that how you started dreaming about this this broadcasting gig? Yeah, for sure. And you know, good good research on that. I, I think um, for some reason I picture it with just one teacher. My guess is it was probably every teacher, but I <laughs> I seem to feel like either my first or second grade teacher, and this is how I'm able to identify it because she moved up a grade with us. So I know that it was. Mrs. Dunwoody in either first <laughs> or second grade that was telling my parents that I was, you know, disrupting class uh, to give, you know, I mean, look, we're, we're, we were at a time period back then in the 80s where you got everything out of the box score and the newspaper. Even an eight-year-old kid was looking for that because I probably wasn't able to stay up till the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And so yep. I woke up and the first thing I did if I wasn't listening on a radio in my bedroom, was to find out what happened, and then I had to go tell everybody about it. There, there was something in me early on, even still to this day, that feels like I want to be the one to tell everyone. I, I don't know why. <laughs> and, and even still now, I mean, look, there's nothing I can tell anybody at this point that they don't hear from a million other places with mm-hmm. the way social media is. But, you know, usually when we travel, I'm one of the only ones there. And I'm certainly the only one there that's on a TV platform. So... There's, to me, a, a lot of excitement and, and responsibility in, in being able to be the guy that gets to do that. Well, I think that's interesting. So the, the responsibility of being a storyteller, right? Because that's what you are. You're a storyteller. That's what you were doing as a kid in, in Mrs. Dunwoody's, <laughs> Dunwoody's classroom. You're being a storyteller. And I think it's interesting, too, when we're talking about like kids 
who have that desire to like either be heard right. or be seen or they're musicians, you know, aspiring musicians or storytellers or broadcasters. Like as a, as a musician, my entire life, you know, I can't tell you how many times I got in trouble for, you know, like drumming on a desk or yeah. singing, humming right. songs in the middle of the classroom, but I couldn't help it. You could not help yourself from telling stories. Right. And, you know, you, you hope over time that the music gets better, that the storytelling gets better <laughs> and, and, and that you're held accountable to that. But but, yeah, I think I think that that that's probably it. I mean, I, I think that's a um, that's a good connection there, Bobby, because it, it's you, you have that in you early on and then you, you find a love and a joy for it. And then, you know, you want to perfect it. You never do. You're constantly working on that. But I think that, look, I mean, any of us people. You know, people say all the time, well, you got the greatest job. You get to talk about sports every day. And that, and I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't. But you have to love it. And believe it or not, not everybody in even a great industry or players, for that matter, love it. They might just be really talented and, and they understand that that's the path that they're taking. But um, I love doing it, you know. And, and even as you were – and it's not like you said anything that surprised me, but but to to hear, you know, all the years with the Royals – that's not anything I could have ever envisioned. I, I don't know when I came here in 2008 that I had a long-term plan. Um, I think, I think if I were to go back then, I would have hoped that this would work out long-term, but you don't really know. And then over time you start thinking, this is the right place. And mm-hmm. this is, this is it. And that's, that's where you find that sweet spot. Right. So um, I'm lucky, you know, I'm, I'm there are a lot of people that would love to trade places. There are a lot of people that wanted to get into this that never made it. And somehow, some way, after 28 years in the business, I think uh, as we're talking right now, it's just a maybe a couple weeks over, maybe right, yeah, maybe like a week over 28 years of wow. um, since my first job in television. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. And, and that's amazing, Joel, because a, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, even Bobby and on it on a much smaller scale, you know, prepping for shows and, you know, you actually have to do your homework, but, you know, someone like you who does this professionally, Joel, I don't think, you know, the average bear really realizes how much homework there is and how much studying there is in order to be prepped, you know, for the Royals pregame, postgame, everything Gosh. that's going on. I mean, and, and maybe you can touch a, yeah, a little please. bit on that is, you know, what does that look like in terms of, you know, doing homework and doing all the research? So, you know, you look like smooth and silky when you're on, on TV. I, I think it, it's it's a great question, Darren. And I think it's different for everyone. I mean, if I and I have an idea without all the specifics of the way each of our broadcasters prepare, just in kind of the way I watch them go about their business. I mean, I'm not sitting there with them while they're doing all of their homework, but but we all sort of go about it in completely different ways. And I think that what helps with the preparation and I don't know, I mean, maybe this is the same Bobby with music, but when you do it long enough and you do it over and over again, it's not that you have it all figured out, but what you have figured out is what works for you. Mm -hmm. And so when you figure out what works for you, you end up spending a lot less time than you did in the past where you're searching for your kind of your, your methods and your rhythm and your flow. And so in many ways, I feel like I don't have to work as hard now as Mm -hmm. I did before. It's not because I, I, you know, earn that right. I, I think, you know, if you're, 
someone like a Denny Matthews say, you can do whatever the heck you want. And I'm not saying he does. I'm just saying, like, whatever he does to me is good enough. Because when you've been, I don't know what the cutoff is, but when you've been somewhere for that long. But, you know, he has his routine that works for him, too. And it's probably changed since 1969. But it hasn't probably changed a ton in recent years because it worked. it's what works for him. And so I know it works for me. And so you end up spending so much less energy on the things you did before because you figured out over time that that was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I, I really in many ways learned that from doing hockey for a number of years, uh, even somewhat recently. And I was doing Kansas City Mavericks mm-hmm. you know, before that Missouri Mavericks hockey games. And I might do 10 games a year and I was doing some college hockey games. Nothing, not enough to ever get good at it. Uh, needed more rhythm and reps. But what I figured out over a couple of years was half of this work that I spent two days doing in my preparation, I never used. So, okay, let's eliminate that. Okay, now, instead of it taking two days, it takes half of a day. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing with baseball, where there are a lot of rabbit holes you can go down. But if I'm not going to use them, or they're not going to be of use to my audience, then what's the point? If I want to do it for fun, that's great. We also happen to have and absurdly unbelievable research producer and Dave Holtzman. And it's like, I know how to research a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. not to his level, but probably better than some others. But it's not the best use of my time, especially I've got this other business now, um, you know, speaking and all that. But but I know what I need to do to get ready every single day. And I would also say this, and, and Bobby, I'm pretty sure you can relate to this too, that if you were to tell me right now that the Royals were going to play some game that randomly popped up on November 1st on the calendar in, and we got to do a pregame show in five minutes. Don't worry that you don't have a, a sport coat on and don't worry that you're sitting in, you know, your office studio. We'll put you on zoom, but you got to go do a 30 minute show in five minutes. I'd be fine. Yeah. Right. Uh, is, is it the preparation that I would want? No, but I have such a long history of having done this better for better or worse that I know how to do it. And so if you throw something at me right now, it won't freak me out in any way. And that's not something I could have done before, but you do something enough over and over mm-hmm. again. And it's just part of who you are. Yeah. I think you're spot on. I mean, yeah. it's uh, so I'm doing something a little bit different this week. It's interesting that we're talking about in the connection with the Royals and, and the prep work that Darren just alluded to. So we have Royals fantasy camp that starts Next Monday, I'm leaving today to go down there a couple of days early. I'm driving because Dina hired me to play the opening night ceremony concert. So I'm putting on the show for all the guests uh, of camp and everything. It's something that I'm really not accustomed to doing is doing a solo show. I sing lead in a bunch of bands. I've toured all over the world, played for a ton of people. But this is a different animal. So I've had to prep differently. Now, the point is, though, like you – I'm thrown into a, a a ring of fire that I'm not used to, but I know it's going to be okay because I've been on stage a thousand times and I know no matter what, it's going to be okay. So I just kind of have that, that peace of mind like you're talking about. Or like, honestly, we're talking about po- podcasts. So when we first started doing the show, mm-hmm. our prep was a lot longer. Right. Right. Like two, three, four hours to make sure that we're getting all kinds of research. That's not to say we're not doing a ton of research now leading up to a show. Right. But, but I it know turns out we had a all, lot of stories we never used. Right. right? But yeah. we, we kind of you learn to almost trim the fat, so to speak, so that you're not yeah. wasting your time. And I think that's a good thing to talk about for any line of work is somebody 
just learn what works for you mm-hmm. and what makes you the most efficient, and then you'll be the best at, at your your craft. Yeah, and I I think there there's no reason why you can't steal from everybody along the way. So uh, for me, and and understanding yourself too, we're all wired differently. So. I'm not great with process. I'm not great with, I, I can follow it, but I'm not great at necessarily creating it. And, you know, really, you either watch what other people are do, do and then figure out which of those pieces work for you, um, or you just kind of trial and error. And so, you know, I'm constantly evaluating and working on my process for my podcast uh, of, not so much the interviewing part, but the post-production. Mm. And I've, I've got people uh, on my team that do a lot of it, but I still pick the sound bites and the quotes. And, and so what's the best way to edit those down and put them into here and do this and all that? Um, and, and you just, again, if you're constantly looking inward at this was a waste of time or this was clunky, but sometimes for someone like me, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not good at figuring out what would work better all the time. And so that's why I I do think that it's great to ask other people that are in whatever industry you're in, how they do it. What's your workflow? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'm I'm working on a a speaking promo video right now that was shot for me by a really close friend of mine and he's an editor and I want to pick his brain on just his workflow of a big project like that of how he takes it in because I'm pretty sure that while mine won't be the exact same, his is probably more efficient and it's probably, there are probably some things in there that I didn't think of or don't know how to do. And so I do think that the people that are around you or the people that are in your industry, whatever it is, it's good to learn from them, but that doesn't mean that you need to necessarily copy them. And, and if, and if what works for them is exactly what's going to work for you, then go ahead and copy them. That's fine. You're not really stealing ideas. I think it's just, Figuring out, because that's the battle. I mean, I, I think going back to what I said before, that once you can figure out what works for you, you free yourself of all those other distractions. You free yourself of, of the noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and whether it's in terms of time management uh, or, or whether it's just being able to focus on what you want to focus on. Now, take it a step further. Um, if And I know everybody's a little bit different on this, but Nerves aren't necessarily a bad thing if they're if they're used in a good way, right? I mean, Bobby, if you end up with some nerves uh, performing solo there, it, it's not going to be because you're doubting your ability. It's just because it's something Different, new. Yeah. But you will then tell yourself, and I think, you will then tell yourself, well, I know how to do this, so um, those are good nerves. But I know when I was younger, I'd be nervous about a million things, and it could paralyze you a little mm-hmm. bit. And it's not that I couldn't do a broadcast, but I don't think I was able to fully be myself because you're you're thinking of this has to be true for a musician too. You're thinking of too many checklists. You're thinking of too many things that you got to get this right. You got to get this right. You got to get the, that right. I don't think about almost any of that now, other than there are stretches during the season, and I've identified this over the years, and I, I, I found it fascinating just for myself where I could get into slumps Hmm. and I don't mean like, okay, he stumbled on this. He stumbled on that. We could find those every single day, Mm -hmm. but uh, just stretches where I'm like, I feel off Mm -hmm. and I've come to realize that it just happens when you're doing this every single day where you just kind of get in some funk. So then it's a matter of saying, okay, why, what am I doing wrong? 
let's figure that one out right now and hone in on a couple of things that have always worked and just sort of a reevaluation. And that'll happen multiple times during the year or even, you know, the way that I do my scorecards or my note taking or all of that. Wait a minute, this this could be done better here. So I do think that once you even have that process, it could always be tweaked, but it's it's never major changes. And I will tell you that when you don't have that massive checklist in your head and maybe you just want to focus on one or two things that you've been struggling with, that's easy. But it's when your mind is all over the place that you can't be yourself. And so that's a great comfort zone and a sweet spot. That's why when people say to me, do you ever get nervous on TV? The the honest, true answer, I'm not uh, I'm not trying to, to uh, be full of myself or be overly confident. I'm not an overly confident person. The answer is no, because what I say to people all the time is, do you get nervous going to your job? And mm-hmm. if you've been going to your job for this many years, you probably don't. Right. Exactly. Well, and speaking of the job, you know, I, I want to take one step back on you, Joel, because, you know, I, I think you and I are fairly similar age, maybe a child of the 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s. But, you know, back then, the technology is nothing what we see right now. And, you know, I was reading on you that, you know, nothing was ever handed to you, right? Like the Royals just didn't. Or, you know, when you're in St. Louis and, and Kansas City, no one just said, hey, Joel, we're going to hand you this job. So t- tell us a story or two, because you got your start by literally knocking on doors of TV stations and cold calling. And I know some of the younger listeners out here won't know what like cassette <laughs> tapes are, but like you actually literally you, you were handing out resume tapes to people. So yeah. t- tell us if you have any humorous stories or anything like that about the coming up of Joel Goldberg. Yeah, I, you know, this is one that I'm really proud of because I, I want to preface this by saying uh, that this kind of story in my beginning really all pertains to cold calling. And like most people, not all, most people, I hate cold mm-hmm. calling. I, it's extremely uncomfortable. And for the people that are good at it, I wish I could be them provided that they also have a filter and understand the right and wrong time. That's what one of the problems to me with people, and it, it's more prevalent now than ever with the ease of social media, LinkedIn, and all mm-hmm. that, is that people don't know the right and wrong wrong time, and that can disqualify you right away. Uh, that wasn't the issue for me. It never really has been. I'm very conscientious of that, not just with anything. I mean, with, with the time I ask for Royals players, um, very – self-aware always have been of of the right and wrong time reading the room is what i like to say but what i also understood back then was that i was no different um no better maybe worse than anybody else coming out of college that year um this was 1994 and i actually love to talk to a lot of groups that i speak to about this too uh, that has nothing to do with television but I just make up the number. Let's let's say that 10,000 kids in America, and I don't know what the margin for error is on that, but let's just say 10,000 kids were coming out of undergrad that year in 1994 that wanted a job on television. And there were 50 jobs open, mm-hmm. 25 jobs open, maybe over time 100 jobs open. How, how in the world am I going to be in the top 50 out of 10,000? When I, I don't even think I'm all that good at that point. I have the I, I I I know that I have the work ethic that's as good as anybody's. I know I have the passion that's as good as anybody's. But outside of, you know, some kind of prodigy, most of us weren't all that good coming out of college. I would argue that today people are much better, 
because on this on on the simplest level, everybody has been in front of a yeah. camera mm-hmm. since they were teenagers or before with a cell right, phone. Exactly. We didn't have that. You know, we had video cameras. And so um I was rejected everywhere I applied. And to to date myself, but it's 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 worth pointing out, um, internet was really new. Mm-hmm. Email was brand new. I mean, my senior year in college, if you you could sign up for an email account, you had to go to the school library to log into it. So, I mean, there wasn't like, you know, cell phones were like coming in a big suitcase and you probably didn't have one. (laughs) And so, you know, we didn't nowadays, I like to say nowadays, the kids, they don't send resume tapes. Who 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 has a tape? You send a link to YouTube Mm -hmm. with your reel. Yep. Um, and so that way you can make sure that they get it. Well, I, my, I remember a few years ago, my nephew said, yeah, but nowadays we have LinkedIn. And I said, so does everybody else. So, okay, it's easier to get a hold of that news director today. Mm-hmm. And it's also easier for the other 10,000 people that are graduating. So the question I love to ask anyone in whatever they do in their business is what makes you different? And the answer can't be I'm better than everybody else because somebody is going to be as good as you, if not better. What makes you different? So I subscribed, I wish I knew how much it was, to some monthly service. It was probably like 50 bucks a month, 40, I don't know. I mean, it felt like it was $10,000 a month. And you had a special code with your subscription. You could call it every day. And when you punched in your code, it would would list off on on the actual phone call, you know, from my parents' landline. Well, it's the only phone they had. Uh, It listed off what jobs were open. And so it'd give you the contact information and then... Uh, I'd send the resume and a res- uh, resume tape and a resume and a cover letter to the contact. And I got back rejection letters from 20 something of them, like over 20 something. And that's when I said, I got to do something about it. I'm just, I, I, I don't remember if anybody gave me this idea or not, but I'm not wired this way. And I started cold calling TV stations and it basically went this way every time. I'm sure that I had a script that I wrote out in front of me. And I would first I'd call and the receptionist would answer and I would say smaller markets, by the way, too, like nothing the size of a a Kansas City or certainly my hometown of Chicago or my original hometown of Philadelphia. Smaller markets, Uh, you know, Quincy, Illinois, um, Peoria, Illinois, Mason City, Iowa, Rochester, Minnesota. And I'd call these places and the receptionist would answer and I would say, um, who's your news director? And they say, oh, it's Dave Smith. I'd say, thanks. And I'd hang up. And then I'd call back 10 minutes later as if it mattered that, like, somehow I couldn't just ask on the spot, could you transfer me? So 10 minutes later, I'd call back. Hi, could I speak with Dave Smith? Um, Hi, Mr. Smith. My name is Joel Goldberg. I I just graduated from the University of Wisconsin. I understand that you don't have a job opening right now, but I I, I happen to be passing through Terre Haute in two weeks. Would, um, Would you be available on that Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday? And they never said no. The worst I got was... You know, would you be available so I could stop in uh, and, and, and meet you and introduce myself? The worst I got was, well, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm going to be here, but you could drop off a tape. And that was maybe one or two of them. And it happened to be in cities where I was uh, already got a yes somewhere else. So I went. <laughs> I was never going to those places. But as soon as they said yes, I was going to Terre Haute. And I you know, hopped in my Honda Civic and took the one sport coat that I had. And uh, and I'd pull into town at the McDonald's. And then I'd change into that. And I'd. Go and meet, and and suddenly, I had this binder full of notes of twenty something stations that I'd visited, and twenty something news directors that I'd met, 
And oftentimes I'd meet the news anchor and the sports anchor and the weather person and the on and on and on and on and on. And that was, I don't know, I'd say July and August of 1994. And by October, the first job offer came in. And by November and December, after I'd started working, more job offers came in. I would have never got in. And most people that I knew didn't get in because it was just, who wants to do all that? Right. Well, that's a fantastic, go ahead. It is. Well, there's a couple things. Number one, we love the quote that, Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, right? And so not saying, obviously, you were very talented, but you took everything to another level and said, I'm going to flip the script in order to get in front of some people. I'm going to work harder in a different type of way. He was relentless. Relentless. And and I think that there's a big quote, there's a big theme that's part of your book and part of what you do now with your speaking is about perseverance and how you really broke in. This wasn't like, oh, I went over 20 and I'm just going to take no for an answer, and I must suck, and this degree was a waste of time. You said, no, I, I'm going to do this differently, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure that I have an opportunity when most people would have just given up. Yeah, and I I did have that kind of oh, crap moment where I was like, this is just isn't going to work. And I don't know. I can't piece it together now. I don't know if that's what fueled me to start making those calls out of fear, mm. but this is something that I dreamed of from as early as I can mm-hmm. remember. I also had worked throughout all of high school and college at a local like hot dog stand and started there my freshman year of high school. Um, pretty much unlike anyone else that, I went to high school with, you know, everybody else had like 15 jobs throughout high school, mm-hmm. right? And and I was the only one that just stayed in one spot. Uh, I started at that place at 3.35 an hour. And um, when I'd come home from college, I was working there. And, you know, you're serving customers behind the counter or flipping hot dogs, you know, flipping burgers and cooking hot dogs and all that type of stuff. And over time, they would... Um, give me more responsibility. And, you know, now I'm a teenager closing the place down. I'm the only one in there, you know, mopping everything up and on and on and on. And or well, maybe with a couple other guys in there, but I'm in charge. And so uh, they offered me, the owner of this place is really successful, um, you know, restaurant. They offered me 25 grand to manage it out of college. And so I'd started considering maybe I'll just go that route. And, yeah, you know, I remember my dad wasn't really happy with that just because he's like, what, what did we send you to college for? You could have just stayed <laughs> home. Um, so they, that, that motivated me a little bit too. But really more than that, it was just like I my dream has always been to be a broadcaster. So, okay, maybe I have this fallback, um, but I'm going to push harder. Like I can't, I can't take no for an answer here. Like I, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm not a pushy person. I'm not um, – I'll generally, you know, if I get rejected, okay, that's fine. Um, and nobody likes rejection, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, I just couldn't take the rejection. And, um, I don't know that I had the foresight to, 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 um, n- it wasn't like, okay, if I don't do this, I'll regret it forever. It was just like, it was the only plan that I had. And so even though I had this fallback with the restaurant, it just was not anything that I was legitimately going to consider. Um, the irony of all of that is, that the uh, my first TV job in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, way up uh, northern Wisconsin, um, for NBC television station up there. My 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 
first yearly salary there was was almost is a little over half of what I would have made at the restaurant. Okay. So, I mean, I was making pennies up right. there, but I was in yeah. and that's all I right. wanted. I didn't, I didn't care about the money at that point. Um, you know, if they're not paying you a whole lot, that's why you're living with a roommate in a two bedroom. That was a total of three forty one seventy a piece. A month. <laughs> is that so, the real number? And, and you knew that number right off the top. No, of your head. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, there's, I mean, there are like, I, I can't remember the score of a game from the night before. <laughs> Uh, sometimes I can't remember where we were or who, you know, maybe that's age, but, um, but I can remember that's that. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, $13,500 a year, 170, uh, the rent was 300 a month. I was living by myself, like, uh, a, above a house that had, they rented out, um, the whole up, upper floor and I couldn't afford the 300. So I moved in with the director of, uh, of our TV station and um, he was in a little apartment right by the, the TV station, and so it was three forty a month, two bedrooms, one bath, hundred seventy bucks. There you go, there you go. And what was that? Your yeah. first break getting into that TV station was that the first break? Yeah, that was okay. the first break. That was the first break, and I had more opportunities. And I just thought, at least back then, that well, I'm probably supposed to stay here two years, like the mm-hmm, old right? Um, which nobody would do anymore. But um, but you know, I I learned a lot there, and and I'll also say that every stop along the way Rhinelander Wisconsin back to Madison Wisconsin then St. Louis there were opportunities for promotion where I every time got passed over um and you know dealt with that, that rejection just kind of kept going forward and and you know I mean it all obviously yeah, all oh absolutely out. so you know let, let's talk about that because we, we love talking about you know the fear and relentless because I want people to see you know when they're looking at you on whether it's the post game or pregame of Royals Live or seeing you in one of your speaking engagements for them to really know, you know, your backstory, which is fantastic. So knowing that, so you're in St. Louis, what prompted you being there? How did that whole transform coming over to Kansas city? Cause you know, I don't know if people, you know, clearly, you know, we're not hitting like it's the St. Louis Cardinals. Right. So, um, right. so how, how did that happen coming over to, to Kansas city across the state? You know, it's kind of rivals, even though Royal, the Cardinals have had a sure. much better history, but how did that unfold coming to Kansas city? Well, um, this is a great story because I, um, same kind of, well, I wasn't passed over for anything. Um, so I had two jobs in St. Louis, uh, two, um, employers the first one was the local fox so you know like the fox like fox four here in in um, kansas city the st louis version and uh, i was at that place we actually back then no i don't think anybody has this anymore um we had four four on-air people for just for sports at that local fox television station i mean now most people have two Mm -hmm. maybe three and, um, you know, when I started there, I was the fourth in line. Then I was the third in line. Um, I got passed over for the weekend anchor job. So I was kind of just stuck in that, that three spot, which was still great because I was getting all the great, uh, the, the, the top, uh, reporting assignments. Um, and that's what got me to Super Bowls and things like that. Greatest show on turf. Uh, but when the, um, regional Fox Sports Midwest, like, you know, the old Fox Sports mm-hmm. Kansas City here had an opening. Actually, they had an opening a few years before, and they chose someone else, and then came back to me three years later saying, you know what, um, we've got that opening again, and um, that one didn't work out, but we we made a mistake. We'd like to have you. And so that's kind of what got this whole ball rolling because that was 2005. They approached me after the 2004 World Series where Boston swept, uh, winning their first World Series and breaking their drought, swept the, the Cardinals. 
and um, they just saw me working, you know, that October, and, and were I guess impressed with it, and and so you know we've been watching you, and um, we made a mistake, we want to bring you in, so that's really still my employer. I mean, technically, I'm an independent contractor. Everybody for some reason wants to know who my boss is, and um, you know, I guess it's you know that group, but. Um, when I was working for them, and this is so that, this is 2005. I mean, so we're talking about having been with them now 18 years, um, but the last 15 in Kansas City as an independent contractor. So I was one of three people there that were sharing or uh, that was sharing um, reporting and hosting responsibilities. So essentially everything that you see me do here, the in-game reporting, the pre-game, the post-game and all that, there were three of us that rotated in and out. They also had blues hockey. They had some other things. They have more than we had here just because we don't have NHL and NBA here. So um, it was good. It was great. I loved it. Um, I wanted more. And when I heard, I here, here's a great story. I was hanging out with um, Brian McRae um, because his dad – you know, Hal, the Royals Hall of Famer, was the Cardinals pitching coach. And then this was, this was like early, very early years of MLB.com, and he was doing some reporting for MLB, like video on-camera stuff. And so they had assigned him to cover the Cardinals in the playoffs, I think against the Padres. And so he and I hung out a lot in San Diego and got to know each other. And then he had told me um, shortly after there that, that Fox was taking over the Royals broadcast. I didn't know this. Nobody was going to send me a memo on that. And I thought, oh, wait – I think I think BMAC was interested in trying to get some connections, and I and I gave him those connections, um, and you know that never panned out for whatever reason. But I was like, wait a minute, I, I'd be interested in that. My wife grew up in Kansas City. She moved away when she was eleven, but her sister had moved back here. Uh, had moved back here. Um, I, I had been visiting. This is two thousand eight now, or you know, end of two thousand seven. I had been coming here to visit since my niece was born, or my wife's niece was born in nineteen ninety six. So we were coming here for, you know, Thanksgiving or winter break and things like that. So I knew um, I knew the area enough. And I started asking around, like, they're only hiring one person. And so um, so I pushed to get that. Uh, and and I got that. And that, you know, I, so there was a comfort level in coming here in the sense of we were going to have family. But I also I remember. um yeah, there was a lot of pushback. Like, why would you choose the Royals over the <laughs> right. Cardinals? I'm like, you don't choose the team. Situation. You choose the, yeah. the, the job. The situation. Uh, but I still remember, like, my wife's sister's family being like, you, you know, um, you're not – I mean, are you coming here for us? <laughs> or, like, is it the Royals? Like, what is it? And, um, you know, because people – yeah, but people don't understand our job and the way it all right. works out. So. Um, it, it did confuse a lot of people, especially with the way things could be in St. Louis. How could you right. leave our beloved Cardinals? And I'm like, well, first off, I didn't grow up there. So there wasn't a personal tie to that other than I learned a lot and met great people for nine right. and a half years. Um, but but it was it never felt like the ending destination just because I never quite got what I wanted. I came here and it was like, wait a minute. This is what I've been looking for. And yeah, there that's go. cool. Right. So I, I've heard you say that. uh you have zero desire to ever go to another market as a broadcaster, TV personality because of everything that you just mentioned. So I think you may have actually answered this question, but broadcasters like you, personalities like you do have other opportunities that come up. So besides the family draw and being, you know, the familiarity with Overland Park or Kansas City, 
what is it about this city that just kind of gives you the feels? And and uh, same thing where you know people like you know Ryan. Ryan was on the show and he said a lot of the same things growing yeah. up in in Minnesota, in California, California, yeah. right? Like, what is it about this city? Not necessarily the team, right? But what is it that has that allure for you? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and I don't I don't know if I fully know the answer. I think it's really easy to sit there and say, well, the people of Kansas City are so nice. They are. Um, but, you know, we tend to focus on our own cities. And, I mean, traveling all over the country, I think most of the places we go, people yeah. are nice. Uh, I, I mean, yes, it's different in New York. It's different in L.A. I don't know if I could <laughs> live places like that. I, I believe I could. But... uh they're all different, but like in the end, once you find your people, you know, I, I mean, people are good here, but I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't know that, like, I do think that this city is totally different now than it was when I got here in 08 in the best of ways, the amount of growth, uh, how cool it is. I think to, to be downtown and in the city and to see the continued mm-hmm. growth, to see the amount of young people here. Um, you know, I think it used to be that that you could raise your kids here and then they move off and go somewhere else because they want to be somewhere bigger. And now there's a good chance they want to stay or if they're not staying, people their age are coming here because of the job opportunities and all that. So I'm very proud of this city. I'm very proud um, of, of the growth. And I'm proud of the fact that everywhere you go, it's got to be the only city where, where non-tourists wear Kansas City stuff every <laughs> right. single day. Right. Like I mean, we all have KC plastered in the heart all over our chest every single day. You don't see that. You don't see people from New York wearing I love New York shirts. <laughs> so I do see more pride here than I do other places. But look, if if this job um, and this organization, who I mentioned before, I don't work for the Royals, but I do work for the Royals. Nobody's ever told me what I can and can't say. Uh, am I a homer? We're all homers. We're, we're as is just about every broadcast around the country because we're not doing that it's the reason why people people complain about joe buck because he's not your homer he's not supposed <laughs> mm-hmm. to be your homer we are right. supposed to be your homer we can get into that later i think joe buck right. is incredible but um and you know send me your tweets or whatever i mean uh, maybe, maybe elon maybe elon musk is a joe buck fan i don't know but um if 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 this didn't work if the job wasn't what i thought it was if the people that i work with um, with the network, with our broadcast team, with the organization, with management, if it didn't feel right, if it didn't feel like home, it wouldn't have really made a difference how great the people were here. And so, yes, this town is amazing, but I think I wouldn't have been able to enjoy how amazing it was if if the team wasn't the right fit for me. And well, and you know, and, and, um, that's, and, so that's and not to interrupt you, Joel, but just one of the thoughts that just came across my mind is, you know, coming over in 08, I mean, you came into a run of Kansas City Royals baseball that was fantastic, right? We host the 2012 All-Star Game and all those festivities. Uh, we had an amazing run in 14, which some people argue it was actually more fun in 14 to go through the whole, you know, all the way through Game 7 against the Giants and then, of course, coming back and winning in 15. So that was an amazing run for you to come in. But one of the one of the questions that we wanted to touch base on, it's kind of a, a famous thing, but how did the whole Salvi splash thing come into play back in the day? 
we he and I have never been able to identify it. Um, here's here's what I've been able to piece together. And by the way, um, it was a great run, Darren. But you know, we we haven't covered two thousand eight, nine, <laughs> well, 10, we, I, eleven. I, I kind of skipped uh, over yeah. that for Lost those were those were draft pick years. <laughs> the the um, the Jose Guillen years, oh, baby. You yeah, but, oh, there um, you go. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I could break out some really good names. The Ross, Ross Glode. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, Ross Glode, Gilmesh, Jose Guillen. Well, Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Of those three, the worst to interview was Ross Glode. If you're listening, Ross, sorry, but he didn't, no. he wouldn't give you anything. Yeah. Uh, any, anyway, um, Guillen was okay when he wanted to be, and, and Gilmesh, I actually saw him earlier mm. this year. Great guy. Uh, but um, <laughs> uh, I just totally lost <laughs> so we're talking about how, how did we come a, come about? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Southeast Flash. Sorry, I do this a lot, and uh, you know sometimes I got producers yelling at me. Let's go, let's pick up the pail. Always yelling at me. Um, to my knowledge, and I'm not saying this is totally accurate, but the first splash that I can remember, and I remember it because we were flying to St. Louis after a game, and it was Gatorade. And the and I just got hit with some of it, and the back of my neck was sticky. <laughs> and I just remember sitting down on the plane in my seat, probably maybe it was 2011, maybe it was 2010, maybe it was 12. I don't know. Uh, I could feel like the back of my neck sticking, and every time I kind of moved my head back or in a funny way, it would stick. <laughs> it would just stick. And what I remember is as I'm feeling like that, I see Alex Gordon walking by and he's looking at me and I look at him and I go, and he looks at me with that classic Alex Gordon smirk, which means he knows exactly what he's saying. He goes, did I get you with that bucket? And I said, yeah. And he just laughed and he (laughs) moved on. So as far as I remember, the first ever splash came from Alex Gordon dumping a bucket. Nobody remembers that. I don't know what year. I don't know the situation. I just know it was at home and we were going to face St. Louis. And that's all I remember. But Salvi obviously made it an institution, and it still is to this day. And even though he doesn't do it that much anymore, it's usually almost always now Bobby Wood mm-hmm. Jr. and MJ Melendez together. But, of course, we still call it the Salvi Splash. What I can tell you um, about the Salvi Splash and Salvi, um, a few quick things. One, I've never asked him to do it. I've never orchestrated it. I've never uh, – I, I just roll with whatever he wants to do. I always joke that he should get, if we win an Emmy for anything involving that, that he should get some kind of credit because he also takes over trying to be the director and wants me to stand <laughs> in a certain spot. And so you, you can't, you're giving it away. You can't have them looking at, you know, at the crown vision. Uh, you got to distract them by all this type of stuff. And I've always felt like, you know, it's his thing. And by the way, not all the players, they, they, they've evolved too. Like they used to, like interviewing Billy Butler, while he knew Salvi was coming, was the worst because Billy's attention span probably wasn't great to begin with. And all he's yeah. doing is head on a swivel. And I'm like, hey, hey I'm right here, buddy. Uh, you know, I, I got, I'm trying to ask you something. So it was a distraction at times. And, I, you know, it's not like guys want to be doused with it. But now they're kind of just embracing it. Like, yeah, let's go bring it on. And they're having fun and it's creative and all that. But my, my stance on it has always been this. If I can get out of the way, it's more comfortable to get out of the way. But I'm never going to go kicking and screaming. I'm never going to complain about it. I'm never going to fight it because, one, on the simplest level, fans actually stay 
in their seats and don't leave the game. Some of them because they want to see that. And as much as I would love for it to be because they wanted to hear a riveting question and hear about the answer from that player, what do they talk about? They talk about the smiles, the splash, the fun, the, oh, he missed, oh, he got you, or all that stuff. So um, that's that. I'm more likely to move quickly on a cold night. I'm more likely, especially if we're not traveling, to just be like, it is hot, I'll take it, um, I'll jump in there. If Salvi or a player is going to hold me down, there's no getting out of it, so just you know, wear it. And um, I think ultimately just be a good sport about it because fans – Fans enjoy it, so why do I want to get in the way of something that they're going to enjoy? It brings them closer to the players. It brings them closer. You know, it brings them it humanizes closer to just, um, the game and the team. Yep. It humanizes, yeah. And then that's hard to do in this day and age. And by the way, if it's something Salvi wants to do, and I'm getting in the way of that, I complained once, and he's never <laughs> let me hear the end of it. Um, and he said twice, which is total BS. But we were in Seattle. It was early in a road trip. You know, if we're going on like a nine-day trip and we're wearing suits, depending on the weather, um, for nine games, I might pack like three or four coats. Um, and it was really early, and he threw blue oh, Gatorade, no. but he didn't dump the buckets. You can get out of the way of that. He took like four cups and threw it in the air. So now you're dodging drops <sighs> in every direction. And he just, just completely dotted like a white shirt or something that I had or a, a light coat all over the place. Place. And so I said something to Mike Swanson, the media relations vice president. Hey, can you just tell Salvi like next time, maybe just a bucket not? And he, and, oh, Joel's <laughs> complaining. He doesn't allow you. Blah, 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 blah. Um, which is, you know, if it's not that, he's going to give me crap about something else anyway. That's right. the beauty of our relationship. So that's the only time. That That's my favorite Salvi story is that, that to this day, I know it was in Seattle. He that's awesome. Like well, I think a couple of things. Number one, it's almost like, I know you weren't here for this, but Back in the day, in the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, you had if the Royals got 12 hits, everyone got a free dozen donuts from Krispy Kreme. So people yep. hung around for that. Yeah, people, yeah. you know, it's Fireworks Friday, it's T shirt Tuesday, it's the Salvi Splash. You have yeah. an integral role in like this, this special part of the history of the team, of whether it's post game or during the game. And I think mm-hmm. you should take a lot of pride in that. Yep. And secondly, we have a question from a, a fellow Royals fantasy camper. From from our buddy Paul, who asks the question, how many microphones or suit jackets used by Joel Goldberg have been destroyed by Salvi splashes? Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think any microphones those things yeah. take mm-hmm. on more than than yeah. I mean, I I I think I might be wrong, but I mean, I think Bobby, you probably know more about that um, from an equipment standpoint. Just like they they're meant to withstand a they lot. Don't, yeah, like it's not it's not like you know sticking electronics at home in in like you know a, right. a bucket of water or, or whatever. Like it, there's no there there are no issues there. I, I think maybe sometimes the cameras you got to be a little bit more careful with, uh, which are a lot more expensive. I will say that I have a routine. Um, anytime I'm doing a post game interview for years, where I will hand every piece of electronics that I have, my iPad, which I keep score on, my phone. Uh, it's just generally those two things, um, and I will hand them sunglasses if it's the day game. I will hand those to my audio engineer, um, and he'll hold them. And then as soon as the interview is over, I grab those, and then I go up to the set, um, and, and we roll. As far as suits go, it's probably the number one question that I've been asked since the the um, you, you know the start of the Southie Splash, whenever that was, 
is um, how many suits have you ruined or what's your dry cleaning bill or, you know, or sometimes just, is, is it cold? And I'm like, <laughs> what, what do you think? I mean, it's not warm. Um, but, um, and I don't say that with any malice. I say that with just pure sarcasm, but um, I've never ruined a suit. It all comes out. And I had a lot of experience of this in St. Louis, even if it wasn't the splash, because, you know, it's still the, to this day, they go to a lot of playoffs, which means that's mm. a lot of champagne celebrations. And I have always, to this day, I mean, I know it's been now for us, what, seven years, but I take a lot of pride in never being the person, not a knock on any of my you know, broadcast contemporaries. I take a lot of pride in no rain jacket, no goggles, no nothing. Um, just I'm going to have here a for it. or whatever on and whatever I'm caught in the middle of it, like, just take it. And um, so I, I've always felt strongly about that. And it's always come wow. out of dry cleaners. Nice. And um, and I have a great job. I mean, I just because they take really good care of me, um, hangers, yeah. cleaners. I'm, no, you're good. I'm not trying to be like uh, um, uh, Knights or Ricky Bobby or whatever. <laughs> but um, like, it's like I walk in and they know they, they, they're big Royals fans. They know. After a big splash. I mean, right. if they have not horn. grabbed hold of and, that uh, by the horns and used that for all of their marketing self-promotion yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all day long. That's yeah. awesome. All, yeah. all day long. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's do another question from one of our fancy yeah. campers. Sure. You know, Jimmy will would be crushed if we didn't you yeah. know, Go ahead. put his question out there. So, um, so what about this, Joel? Have you ever been awestruck or starstruck by anyone that you've come across, either come across or interviewed? I mean, at this point, no, um, but sure, over time, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll get back to what we were talking about before, too. Like, you know, in the younger years, mm-hmm. you'd be nervous for stuff like that. And now you know, I interviewed on my podcast. Um, Ted Bob. Uh, just aired recently yeah. but, uh, mm. on Bob Costas. And it was like, um, I internally, I told myself there were supposed to be nerves because it's Bob Costas. But the the experience of me, um, I was actually just more worried about what should we talk about because you can sure. talk about anything with him. and um, But there were no nerves because of that experience. So I, I think the younger me would have just completely lost my mind. Um, I think, you know, um, the first ever Big Slick had Will Ferrell out. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that was probably the one where it was like, all right, they're giving me a full inning. Now we just do a half an inning, but they're giving me a full inning. So I'm just going to, I've I've met Paul and I've met Rob and I've met Jason. Stone Street wasn't there yet um, until maybe the next year or two. Um, So I've met them. They seem like good guys. I'm just going to start with them, the local guys. And then maybe during the, in between the innings, I'll get the courage up to ask Will Ferrell to come on. And so I was nervous about that, but then he just crashed and he walked right into the middle of the shot and he just interrupted the whole thing. And that's when I'm like, Holy crap. I'm sitting on the end of an interview with Will Ferrell and <laughs> is that the come on Chen? Is that when that was going on? Yes. <laughs> come on, Chen! Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, Bruce. Yeah. 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 It was ridiculous. <laughs> and it was just like the most fun. That's TV awesome. Ever That's amazing. Um, before we do some, we want to be super respectful of your time. So I think it's important that we, we talk about your book a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, it's really, really, it's got some phenomenal nuggets in there, but obviously the main themes are, you know, the, the small things lead to the big things and in business and in life and not just baseball. So maybe discuss some of the themes that are common and consistent throughout the book, like trust 
empathy, accountability, and the makeup of a person and how that sets people up for the success, no matter what arena. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, this book was not meant to be a baseball book. I started my speaking career six years ago accidentally, but realized that speaking to, you know, rotary clubs, church groups, uh, occasionally a company, but not really much, that I had a lot of experiences in sports and broadcasting that I thought might play even with audiences that could care less about baseball. And so the, the goal all along, it's really no different than going on TV and doing uh, an in-game report. Like if I dig way too deep into say the analytics side, then I'm going to lose people that just like the human interest element of it. If I get way too fluffy with everything, then I'm going to lose the people that are just the pure diehard statistical. And so you have to find a way to bring everybody in. And so that's what I try to do with my speaking. And I speak to all types of groups all over the country. Um, you know, so I guess kind of like motivational speaking type of stuff. And it's all about culture and leadership and teamwork. It applies to every profession. That's what I tried to do with the book. And so the book, um, yeah, I, I think trust is the number one topic in everything we do. Uh, good teams trust each other. Good locker rooms have that trust. Good organizations have that trust on and on and on. Um, so how do you build it, right? And um, getting back to what we said before, I am a storyteller. I take a lot of pride in it. And and with my podcast, which is much a leadership and business podcast as it is sports, I was starting to collect all kinds of really interesting stories from famous people and not so famous people. And they really paralleled the stories that I've heard of baseball. And so I tried to pull all that together. It's as much of a, a life lessons book um, as it is. And then the stories in there, some are from business, some are from baseball, some are from the charitable world, military, um, but they all have the same type of themes. And so that's really what I tried to do with that. And, you know, we all in, in Kansas City understand mm -hmm. the importance of playing Yes, we do. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about it, um, the name of your podcast is Rounding the Bases, Right. With Joel Goldberg. So yes. make sure you can find that on Spotify, yep. on, on Google, on Apple Playlist, so everyone can make sure that they All that stuff, that they yeah. check it out. How many episodes have you done now? It's quite a few, right? Yeah, and, and I don't know the number. I was, I was never really trying to fool anybody. I, a good friend of mine um, who was doing podcasts before me, he's in Chicago, and a, a big tech guy was just like, just, just do your seasons by the hundreds, uh, not 100 episodes per season, but just, you know – label it everything in season one is episode mm. 101 102 103 so i'm on season eight right now so we're like episode eight something yeah you're like you've i mean you, you had me fooled I'm not trying that's to smart people but yeah it's <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm never afraid to admit those that's secrets great. with that said i mean it's been not all of them are on there either because during the pandemic i started just doing one every day um they didn't all appear on you know mm. apple or spotify some of them were just facebook lives same concept though. And I just, I was sitting at home, not getting paid, not working. So what the hell? Um, so I, I you know, I'm guessing there's probably somewhere That's around awesome. three make, or 400. Makes note. <laughs> Start episodes at one Oh one. That's kind of like back in the day when yeah. you'd go to the bank yeah. and actually get a the checkbook. Check, yes. Right. And you don't start with check number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Fantastic. Well, yeah. thank you for talking about the book a little bit because yeah, it is yeah. it's so powerful and such a message because it's not just about baseball. The the idea of small ball, yes, cool. We all a lot of people know that from baseball, but it, what mm. what's the the concept of we always say it, um I can't I'm not going to define it very well, but the idea is to get 1% better each day. Right. And when you do that, 
I mean, by yep. the time you've reached a year or 10 years, the, um, the level of mastery is so far beyond anybody else who's not focused on the small little things each and every day. Mm-hmm. And so I think that concept is exactly what you're speaking of in your book. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and I think that, well, I think I know, I mean, I'm, I'm about to start working on the second one and there's a lot of, look, the stories right. are never going to go away. So if there's stories to tell and um, it'll be small ball concept still, and um, it'll have to do about dreams. I like oh, that. I'll say that. Drop and you heard it but, here first, um, folks. Dropping the gold nugget. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite questions to ask people is what did you dream of growing up? Because we've already covered what I dreamed of, but everybody has dreams and yep. we still have dreams, you know, as, as adults, as we get older, I mean, they just change. So um, I'm always fascinated and maybe less fascinated by the superstar, but more fascinated by that guy that got a cup of coffee or that guy that had, you know, I don't know that I'll write about him in the book or not. I might, but like remember Nick Dini, uh, who was like the fifth string catcher and, and they needed a catcher and they brought him up. And I think he homered in his debut and his loud, uh, maybe intoxicated Italian <laughs> sisters were sitting there in Baltimore screaming their heads off at Camden Yards. And it was like, such a special moment to be interviewing him after the game and like this guy, this kid, blue collar, East coast. Um, he made it, you know, even if briefly, like yeah. I, I just love stuff like that. And, and I think that they're often forgotten. That's fantastic. So hey, speaking stories. of stories, cause we always want to be mindful of your time and thank you so much for hanging out with us. But is there any stories or one of your favorite stories that you'd like to share with the listeners and, uh, it can even be about Montgomery since we'll be hanging out with Monty. Yeah, we'll uh, see next him in week. a couple of days. <laughs> so, yeah. in, any stories that uh, that really resonate with you that you think would be a, a good share for everyone? And, uh, Gosh, there are a million of them. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, say, an Alex Gordon would walk up to me and put his hand out to shake my hand. Uh, it, you know, I'm down by the camera wall or whatever, and, and he's got his batting gloves on, <laughs> just lathered in pine tar, and so I'm wearing that the rest of the day. Right, because he's, he's under the radar um, funny. You know, Gordo, oh, yeah. oh, completely. Um, every day when we would do our pregame show on the field, on the road, so we do them on, on the field, on the road, so we don't have a set, um, he would walk he, right yes. in front During of the us. During the broadcast, and yeah. the camera. And 99% of the time, it would be during a commercial. And I'd be like, dude, you, like your timing sucks. You're not even, it's right. not, you're not even messing this up. <laughs> um, I think one of my favorites, I'll, 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 I'll leave you with this one. One of my favorites, and I wrote about it in the book, but, um, in, I think what I, I think the chapter was called seventh inning stretch. And it was with, um, Salvador Perez. And this goes to all about relationships and trust and everything. And I had asked him, like on a Tuesday, we were in Baltimore. Um, I had asked him if he could give me a soundbite about his mom because mm. Mother's Day was that Sunday. And uh, he looks at me and he goes, it was Tuesday. And he goes, Joel, Mother's Day is on Sunday. And I go, I understand that. But, you know, you may not be aware of this or not, Salvi, but we actually work ahead. <laughs> and um, he goes, he goes, okay. I said, it'll just be quick. I don't need a lot. It'll be just quick. He goes, my mom is worth more than just a <laughs> wow. quick answer. And I go, right. you're right. And um, he says, how about I come on the show on Sunday? Cause I'll just be DHing. And, uh, and I say, are you inviting yourself onto <laughs> my show? And he says, yeah, I said, okay, <laughs> okay you can come. Well, okay, fine. That day, um, I've got a picture of it too. I think it's in the book. Um, it is. 
um, you see the three of us. Now we're in Cleveland, and um, it's Mother's Day. He's wearing his pink, and and uh, he's got a big smile. And me and Monty really have fake smiles because um, Monty had food poisoning the night before, so he's eyeballing the trash can the whole interview. And I think he disappeared during a lot of the game. We've all been there. And I just had stuff going on at home, you know, as can happen sometimes, drama with kids and on all that. And and I'm I'm like texting while I'm off camera trying to help out and all that. So my mind wasn't on anything. And it was just a bad day. And uh, we get home and we land. I just want to get home to my family. And um, I'm walking, you know, we fly into downtown and I'm walking back to my car. We park right, right there on the runway. And uh, I hear Salvi's voice, Joel, come here, Joel, come here. I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I love Salvi, but I just want to get home. But, you know, I got to do it. So I turn around and I walk back to him and he says, remember, we're dealing with some language barriers. And, like, I, I'm, I'm actually close with his mom, even though my Spanish is horrific and she doesn't speak a lot of English. But, you know, Google Translate works pretty well. Message each other that way. And um, he says, I, hey, um, my mom and my mother-in-law, at the time it was going to be his future mother-in-law, uh, wanted to say that they watched the interview and thank you for making them feel so wow. special on Mother's Day. And I thought, man, like this is this is why we do this. And that cuts mm -hmm. across culture, that cuts across language. And it was like this, this was wow. one of my worst days, you know, in 15 years here. Um, and I was very distracted. I don't, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to the game. And yet it was that reminder that even these little things, even to a superstar, that's awesome. Game, so that yeah. one will stick. That's with fantastic. Forever. Being close right. with him and his family as you've gotten. Were you, did you go down to Miami for his wedding? I did not. No, I'm, you know, and I would say that right. I, I don't ever expect to get invited to anybody's weddings. Um, I'm, I try to be close with all these guys, but also distance, sure. not because of a professional thing. Um, I know how to do my job, but just like, you know, they, yeah. they got, they got sure. a million friends, all these guys. I, I don't need, I, I just want to make sure that I'm sending them congratulations and, and supporting them that way. And, and, you know, congrats on the baby, you know, sorry about the death, that type of thing. And just make sure that I'm touching base. But, but otherwise uh, I did not. And, um, you know, quite frankly, when these guys get married, exactly. All right, real, real quick, then we'll wrap it up. Off season, are you excited about? Obviously, we have a new manager. What's your thoughts? Excitement coming up for the Royals off season? Well, I, I think to me the excitement is just the unknown because we are now watching. We've seen it already. We are watching a, a new mm -hmm. general manager essentially, and. Um, I I was devastated to hear the Dayton news, just like everybody else. But I also have equal amount of respect for JJ. I know that sounds kind of political, but um, you know I've been around JJ as long as I've been around Dayton, and I'm just excited because even though Dayton's one of his mentors, um, he's going to do things his own way, and I don't know that we fully know what that looks like yet. So I think that's the excitement to me. I can't make a prediction, I and mean, I I think that they probably could use a, a veteran pitcher, mm -hmm. even if Granky comes back. Um, for the rotation, and I think they could probably use a veteran bat uh, that would have a, a Jeff Francoeur type of influence, whatever position that might be, just to get I, – I think they could use a player or two that could help these young guys along um, as they're still finding their way. And um, I don't know if that will happen or not, but I, I just – I don't – I think it will be an eventful offseason. It already is. I mean, you know, we're, this is the first time the Royals have hired a manager in the offseason. Um I guess that Matheny would be the last one. I should say that this is the first time that they have fired a manager, you know, during a season since Trey Hillman. And so um, we kind of knew that Mike Matheny was mm -hmm. going to get that job too. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, Matt Quattraro was a, a, a very um, reasonable guess. He was at the top of my list. 
because I mm-hmm. thought he was going to check a lot of boxes. But I was saying that not knowing him. I still don't know him yet. Um, but I've heard nothing but off the charts good things from the people that I've talked to that know him or uh, that have worked with him. And um, I think that's extremely exciting. I think all the players are going to be excited. I think the fan base should be excited. And I, I that's think awesome. That yep, for sure. Well, thank you for that insight. Man, that's guys, this has been an awesome episode. I want to make sure that if you want to get a hold of Joel, hire him. He's available for motivational speaking or moderation of events and so much more. You can find him at joelgoldbergmedia.com. Find him, of course. He's very active on Twitter, at GoldbergKC. Also on Instagram, at JoelGoldbergKC. Joel, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Hey, um, guys, I appreciate it. Great, great discussion. Thanks for letting me ramble on and on. And um, I'll just tell you, uh, whatever happens, um, (laughs) stay healthy. We're going to try to come back in one piece. Exactly. Guys, this has been the Always Be Cool podcast, hanging out with Bobby and Darren at the Summit Lending Studios. Make sure to find us available on Spotify, Apple, and Google, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Instagram and Facebook, at Always Be Cool podcast. Guys, take care. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, Darren and Bobby thank you from the bottom of their hearts. They hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave them a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. Please share this episode with others who may be interested in our community. Also, feel free to let DC and BK know which business or community leaders you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Get in touch in the comments or on social media. See you next time for a new episode. And remember, always be cool. This podcast is powered by Summit Lending. NMLS number 185081, Equal Housing Lender.